Zoom again. So. I got I got all new stuff, and I have a, a DAW that I built from scratch, and right now is the first time I turned it on and got it working just now. Uh, so the awesome. fact that you're running late makes me feel like <laughs> I'm very accomplished. So, uh, <laughs> the so- thing is, I... I I was five minutes early <laughs> and just couldn't just to make sure everything was working and everything was showing up working. But <laughs> now, now are you, are you, a music, are you a musician too? Am I a musician? Um, it depends on how you define a musician. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I played a little bit when I was a kid in my teenage years. Um, never really any good. Just did it because it was fun. Um, did, did got you, my kids into music you get, and, and things like that. Did, did you get, no, okay. No, I was, you're Never good enough to gig. Well, here's what I was going to say, because, you know, it's the damnedest thing. I have learned that almost 100% of the time, hell, say 100% of the time, the more I prepare for a perfect gig, the more that gig is a train wreck. So, you know, yeah. I get yeah. there get there early. Yeah. I get everything set up. Everything is yeah. trying to be perfect. Yeah. And everything goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, completely understand that. I, I've been doing a podcast for like a year now. And when I've got everything prepared and everything's good something just something goes wrong or the, the conversation goes in a completely different direction than yes. I thought it was going to go. And I got to pivot. And well, it's, did, uh, did y'all watch like, did y'all watch a history thing that was on the last couple of days? No, I, no, you told they me about said, that. They said the same thing that the, when you're exhausted in the last, and when you just go for it was always the best. Oh shows. yeah. Now that I believe. So, so Paul, Joe, Joe, Paul, and just to give you, Fair warning. Joe is absolutely that guy that will take a conversation in a direction we're not yep. expecting. <laughs> yes. No, oh, I, I, I know. I'm I've, uh, I've listened to, to the other three episodes. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, it, 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 what's funny is this is literally how we are in real life, too. Mm. Oh, he was my boss. That. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Once upon, once, once upon a time. Yeah, we had some great once stories there. Oh, that's awesome. So we'll kick that's off awesome. this episode of Rockheads. And... Uh, we got Joe Trollolo Wallace with us. Yes, sir. <laughs> me, yes, sir. Do you like that, Joe? How about that? I can hear it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> let, let that be your new theme song. Yes. <laughs> and we also have with us special guest, Paul Nielsen, who hosts his own podcast called Conversations right. with Paul Nielsen. Yes. A little yes, clap sir. for me. That's yeah, always man. fantastic. Warm welcome. Thank you. So I'm actually really excited about this topic because... I, I, I'll be the first one to admit that, yeah, I probably don't do grunge uh, justice. And I've actually, Paul, after you reached out, I actually started doing a lot of homework, and I feel like I've yeah. I've better educated myself. Um, and so I've shifted some opinions. I think I've expanded some <laughs> others. So I'm really excited to uh, you know kick this off. Um, so with that being said, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll give it to you. You got to hear our, our opinions. And to, to summarize, you know, yeah. for me, the first time I'd ever heard that even the term grunge was 1991, 92, I'm thinking probably yeah. 91, uh, Nirvana coming out. And, and you know, as I said, when, when you say grunge for me, you know, even though I know they're not the first, um, Nirvana mm-hmm. always, you know, comes to mind. But Oh, yeah. You know, with that. I mean, it's. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to just ask you. So with, with that, I mean, where, where do you want to jump in with this? Oh, I, I got a question for him. When, when, when was your first experience with grunge? Oh. I, about the same time, like 1991, 1990, 1991, uh, was, along was with radio, everybody else. Was it radio airplay or was it a movie or was it at a party or? Um, it was radio airplay. You know, growing up in um, 
in and I grew up in like in the Anaheim area of California. So I mean we had so much just like underground like music and and I was always kind of searching for something that was less known and I was that kid that always wanted to to find something that nobody else knew about. I was never successful. Um, the people always knew about the bands that I that I started to enjoy, but the first time I listened to it, it was that I heard of it and heard the term grunge was radio play, and it was honestly it was I think it was Pearl Jam actually, and then and then Nirvana, and that's the first time I heard it, and I mean at that time I mean I was. I was very much into, you know, the Injustice for Alls and the Master Puppets and loved Pantera and loved, you know, Anthrax and, and Megadeth and, and those type of bands and those type of music. And there is just something about that, uh, like the uh, like I think it was a live that I heard. And it just it was so different than what I was used to um, listening to and, and hearing that it just drew me in. Um, and at that time, I was also listening to, to Soundgarden. In fact, my my first album that I ever bought was the Bad Motor Finger album that they they bought. They they put out what in like the, I think it was nineteen nineties when they put it out. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. It was uh, my buddy was uh, what he he was it was like Columbia House or one of those type of records. Oh yeah, uh, oh. things were. <laughs> and he had gotten the Bad Motor Finger in the mail. <laughs> He says, I don't know what this is. Do you want it? And I said, yeah, I'll give you the eight bucks for it, whatever. And took it home and just fell in love with it. Loved it. Yeah, that was, uh, looks like they released that September 91. I tell you what, 91 was the year. I mean, Nirvana came out in 91. Yeah. I think Pearl Jam's, I think theirs was 91. Yeah. Obviously, you know, this, 91. So that was the year. Yeah. Yeah, Nirvana came around that same time. And, and it took a little traction for, for some of those bands to really kind of take off about a year or so. Um, I think... The big thing that people don't understand is that Pearl Jam's not grunge. No, we, it's we not. say that. I, I, I totally. Do you do mm-hmm. you consider Alice in Chains grunge? Um, they are in a vein of grunge because you got to remember, grunge was really brought to to light out of really a two a mixture of two different styles. They were really brought to light out of the uh, the Pacific Northwest punk style of yes. like the melvins and skin yard and oh, and those melvins. type of bands yes yes yeah and and bands like black sabbath and kiss and and judas priest and those it was kind of a mix between the two and different bands kind of started out really kind of similar and it kind of grew to their their the reckoning, I guess you could say, what they ended up being. Is grunge, you know, you, do you think that's just too broad or amorphous of a, a, a nomicur? Because, for example, I was listening yeah. to Mud Honey, and then you know, as, as I was researching Mud, Mud Honey, coming up to this call, um, yeah. I, I started reading about Green River, and I started listening to Green River, which Green was River, you know, mid, mid early 80s. And when I started listening mm-hmm. to the music, the first thing I did was, oh my God. I went and pulled up some Black Flag, and it's like, you know what, there, this is this is punk. If I if I hadn't known yeah. any better in the 80s, I would have just called it punk. Um, yeah. So, you know, and I come back to this of, okay, well, what is grunge? And, and is that just a bad term that gets thrown around too much? I think it started getting um, thrown around, uh, kind of like uh, what Joe said in the, uh, in the first episode there, that it, it became a marketing thing. Yeah. Is, is really what it was. It was. Yeah. It's a marketing thing at, in the early 90s. I mean, check this out. Um, and, Listen yeah. to this. Uh, 
So this is this is Green River, this town. I mean, that's uh, mid eighty ish. Um, obviously, that was the the precursor to Mud Honey. So, yep. you know, is that grunge? Is it quasi? Punk. And it sounds like DRI also, man. It has it has exactly like Paul said, man. It it has all those flavors of Melvin's DRI, all that mm-hmm. which I classify as punk, but we uh we're heavy metal guys and we've added that to our heavy metal collection. But yeah. that's right on the that's on punk's edge. And if that's the precursor to grunge, man, I agree one hundred percent with Paul on that, man. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean that's really where it was. And and really it was uh, what was his name? It, one of the founders of the Sub Pop record label, and Mark Arm, who who was in Green River and, and Mud Honey, as uh, Dean was talking about, who really kind of coined that phrase back in like '86. Grunge, yeah that that wow. genre that 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 word that describes their music that was coined back in '86 with uh, I, I got to look up the guy's name from Sub Pop. It's <laughs> it's killing me now. Uh, Do you but, think it's a regional thing, like we were saying? Yeah, it was a regional thing. Yeah, it was absolutely yeah. a regional thing. Um, in, in fact, a, a lot of the bands didn't even really like the that whole moniker of grunge. You know, like Nirvana and, and, and these Soundgarden hates it. Nirvana hates it. I mean, they really do kind of hate that that name because it it kind of gives that conjuring of being sloppy and hiding your mistakes and in, in the the deep distortion. I also no, agree as yeah. a musician, when you're labeled, mm-hmm. you're kind of put in a box. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and when people la- like Metallica, you know, they, they're, they're always going to be Metallica, even though they branched out a little bit, but a yeah. band like, uh, Chili Peppers or, um, uh, Faith No More. I always talk about Faith oh. No More. They can Faith be no whatever awesome. they want to be. I mean, you know, they do, uh, that old, um, oh, um, I'm easy. That old, um, Oh God! Easy like Sunday morning. Whoever wrote oh, that com- song, Commodores. Commodores. Yes, <clears throat> they play that song, and it's excellent. Really? It's. I don't know that excellent. I've ever heard that version. Oh, of it. Dude, write it down. Oh, hold right on, now. hold on, hold on. What is it? Oh, it's. <laughs> Am I, I, I'm easy by Faith No More. I promise you, it's excellent. If you can see the live video, on um, they open their shows with that, really, and then they dive into old school um stuff i think there's a live one um not the pink pop fest um it's one of the big festivals in in europe and uh nebworth maybe and they open with it and then they go into their stuff it's awesome but i didn't mean as usual i get us off paul oh no it's 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 a conversation conversation if you would if you would pick your favorite oh see there it is right there (laughs) that's crazy dude it's dude uh his voice is on Yes, sir. You know what? I can't speak for Lionel Richie, but I, I, I got a feeling that he would probably be like, okay, yeah, this is oh, cool. Oh, I agree. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do too, man. They do it justice. It's not silly. You figure it'd be silly, but it's mm-hmm. not. Um, Paul, if you yeah. had to, if, if if you had to pick, are, are, would you consider yourself a fan of grunge? I am. Yeah, I mean, and especially since I, I've gone back, you know, because when I first started listening to let's say pearl jam um 
I was a very big fan of Pearl Jam. Still am. I mean, their their last album they put out last year was fantastic. Um, but when I started learning about them, I went back and I started listening to to Green River. I started listening to Mud Honey. I started listening to the Melvins. Yeah. I started going back and, and the same thing with Soundgarden. I mean, I started out with the the Bad Motor Finger album, and then. Uh, that epic album of Super Unknown came out and just blew them out of the water. But I also went back and listened to, to Louder Than Love and then Ultra Mega OK. And yes. they had uh, they had some uh, an EP called Screaming Life and another one called FOP. I got both of those. They're, they're oh. kind of raw. They're kind of raw, but they're good, man. That was grunge that, that, that yeah. time. Yeah. You know? um, and even Ultra Mega OK, it's got that uh, the thing with grunge it was a little more darker and yes. it was a little slower and and things and, and that was really kind of what pushed the the separated them from like a like a melvins like a that that punk um they kind of integrated a black sabbath sound to yes. to punk um yes. and that's what made it great i had um, i had kind of a bipolar relationship with grunge and, and you know if, <laughs> according you know, according to the podcast and uh you know my series on tiktok no 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 doubt mm-hmm. i was every bit of that hard rock you know george lynch fan yeah. so i was about george lynch so the first time i heard um you know smells like teen spirit i remember i'm driving in the car and it comes on the radio and i love the opening energy it's like oh my god this, this is oh, fantastic this is so cool but then there's always that moment it's like but wait a minute where's the guitar solo and and I, I was very much in that mindset. I'm think I'm, I don't know, 19 years old at the time, and I'm loving the energy, but I, I'm still wanting that opportunity to go up and do, you know, do some shredding. But then, you know, I yeah. listened to, to, you know, Pearl Jam had some great solos, uh, Alice in Chains. So, you know, there was a, a a period of time there where I'm like, well, wait a minute, do I dig this or do I not dig this? Because there are elements <laughs> I absolutely do love, and there's ap- yeah, elements that I'm having a hard time. You know, not feeling like I'm getting everything that I want to do out of it. It was very, yeah. it was a complicated relationship, which is why I say I can't put Alice in Chains in, in, in there, Soundgarden mm-hmm. in there. Um, so, yeah, you know, it always, yeah. Comes, always comes back to what is grunge. Yeah, oh, I think if you, you it's, oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead, Joe. Oh, go ahead, Joe. D- Dean, Dean and I always talk about this, and he actually uh, talked about it on one of our podcasts, which I know you heard, is your <laughs> opinion that. Uh, grunge killed hair metal. Did grunge kill hair metal? I see. I don't think so, but Dean I think, definitely does. Yeah. I think hair metal was on its way out. I think everything became too homogenous yes. within the hair metal. Everything started to sound the same. Everybody was doing the same things. Every there was no differentiation there within like Skid Row and Warrant and, and Def Leppard and and all these bands. And, and even you- if you even consider Skid Row and Warren hair metal. Uh, it's just, it, and that's a, another argument in itself, you know? Well, let me yes. go, uh, let me expand that. Cause I, when we talked about this in the first episode, I don't think I ever went to the, the full point. My, here's my yeah. theory. Um, so yes, hair rock had been around for 10 years. And the big thing was, I think it was a battle over radio play. Cause if you think about bands like Metallica and metal, they weren't getting radio play anyways, except maybe on the college stations. So there wasn't a threat there, which is why I think they continued to thrive through the nineties. In fact, they began to get radio play in the nineties. Um, hair rock dominated the radio scene as a result. It also allowed them to, to play big venues. And the reality is, mm-hmm. at that time, the way the record contracts were written, the record labels weren't getting as much of the, the concert tickets as probably what they wanted, uh, or the merch sales. They were getting predominantly the record sales. And <clears throat> I think there was an interest in 
taking these bands off the radio, putting a new you know group on the radio that you can control. Um, I, I think it came down to a play for a battle for radio play, and uh, and, the, and the industry did what they were going to do to get radio play back under their control. I think I agree to that to a solid point because I agree, and you know this with your job now. I think the numbers and the uh, you know uh, prove that you know that so when Teen Spirit came on. Whether you like that song or not, you could not escape it in 91. No, no. It was and, a you complete know, change from everything else. It, was. Yeah, it really was. I think the only competition I think it had was Skid Row and um, Guns N' Roses as far as anything related to L.A. scene. You know, Van Halen yeah. was didn't I, I don't even think Sammy Hager was with them then, maybe or they. I, yeah. You know, I, no, I think at that point, they the they, Sammy Hager had already left. Um, yeah. And no, I think, uh, had he? I, I don't know. I mean, when did the Balance album come out? Let's see. OU812 was, uh, was that 88? Like yeah, 88. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're right. It's right. I think it's right around that window. So, yeah, I, so think, oh, I think that it just kind of got a little stale. And when Teen Spirit came out, I think it just was something so new and fresh that maybe that's what overtook the radio play. And then it was getting a ton of play on like MTV and, and things too, yes. and taking everything out of, uh, out of that rotation. And then just all the record companies descended upon Seattle and started pulling out these other, other bands that really probably shouldn't have been until they were a little more ready. Exactly. I agree. I, I agree. But I think that, I think the record label was shocked at the popularity. They're like, wow, did not see this coming. So every yeah. other record label went in there and said, hey, uh, you're grunge too. And they're like, well, like, not really. I live in Seattle. <laughs> no, you're grunge too. Boom. You're, well, they, now, you're now on tour with Soundgarden. You know, boom. Yeah, well, I think they did that with Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, like, you're grunge. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm not Seattle. I'm not from Seattle. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> completely different. Yeah. You know, so, but they kind of got lumped into that. Same thing with like Stone Temple Pilots. They're from San Diego. They got lumped into that. Yeah. And wow. It, it's just they, so many bands got lumped into that. And I think, especially with the bands up in the Pacific Northwest, they were very much one of those groups in those societies there that didn't really want to become famous didn't want to be mainstream. I mean, this is why Green River broke up. Yeah. Is because Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament, who went on to form Pearl Jam, wanted to bring this to a bigger audience. Mark Arm and um, uh, Steve something, <laughs> can't remember his last name, didn't. So they they split. Mark Arm and, and uh, the other guy went to form Mud Honey did more of kind of the same and mud honey in its own right is fantastic. And then stone Gossard and Jeff Ament went and formed a, a band called mother love bone with oh, another yes. singer yes. from a, a band called malfunction, Andrew Wood and brought in people and just, they were about to blow up. I don't know if you know the story behind mother love bone. Oh, please tell. Didn't yeah, one of them I mean, die? They, yeah, Andrew, yeah. Andrew Wood ended up dying. Yes. I believe yes. it was like the week or the night before their album was to be released. Correct. And just destroyed it. It never was really released on the time. Now you can go back and get the album now. And it's 
it's definitely a phenomenal album. It's one of these albums that's not, again, I wouldn't really say it's grunge. It's more <laughs> kind of, it's almost glam rock. Isn't Temple and, of the Dog dedicated to him? Yeah. So yes. Chris Cornell was Andrew Wood's roommate. Yes. And he was devastated. So he wrote a couple of songs, um, brought it to, to Stone and, and Jeff Amen, and they got together and brought in Matt Cameron. And, and at this time, Mike McCready was kind of hanging around and um, they got all got together to record these. And um, this was also around the time that, you know, they were starting to form Pearl Jam and they had found Eddie Vedder through Jack Irons, um, through like a mutual friend. Um, that new Jack Irons, they didn't really know him, but they just went down to L.A. and knocked on his door and said, hey, here's a tape. We're looking for a drummer. Would you be interested? And he says, no, nah, I'm not really interested. But he, and he says, well, we're also looking for a singer. Do you know anybody? And he goes, I, I might know somebody. And went down to San Diego and handed it to Daddy Vetter. And then everything else just kind of happened. Um, but it's it, so at that time, Eddie kind of flew up and he was just there. And that's how he ended up being on the record. He was just kind of there watching it being recorded. And they asked him, well, do you want to kind of step in on the song? And uh, they recorded Hunger Strike, which honestly is a phenomenal song. But it was all uh, dedicated to Andrew Wood. Yeah. yeah. And that's why there's never been another album, because there was no need for it. Do you have a favorite grunge band that would define your taste? Favorite grunge band? I... You know, I, I've been listening to a lot just because, you know, we've been talking about it, but and, and in preparation of it. And honestly, I I absolutely love the Rehab Doll album that Green River put out. It is wow. it's phenomenal. It's actually recognized by most as the first real grunge album. It's wow. it's funny you say that. Um, <clears throat> again, as part of uh, my preparation going into into this, I've started listening to, as I said, a lot of Green River. Um, mm-hmm. Prior to that, I would have said, yeah, I love Alice in Chains. I really do. But I'm really digging Green River. I really, yeah. really am. Oh, and Alice in Chains is, is phenomenal as well. But, you know, I think the the band that really kind of started it all was Green River. Do you, you th- know, back in the, uh, I think it was 84 when they formed. Do you think uh, region or the romanticism of Seattle had a, a large play in you know, was was grunge just about the sound, or because you think about a lot of the movies that were coming out at that time were, were taking place in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So was there this you know romantic you know view or love for the culture of Seattle that people were also attaching to when they would listen to grunge? Um, I think it ended up being that way. Um, I know the the, uh, the the movie singles that Cameron Crowe did. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, he he actually started looking at Seattle and exploring that type of scene before grunge, if you will, just took off. He had that movie in the works way beforehand. Interesting. And, and that's just because he loved the region and the sound and the music was there. That's why you see, if you, if you look closely, you see like walls with Mother Love Bone painted on it. Yes. Because those <laughs> things were there before Pearl Jam was even there. And, and for that matter, even like Nirvana was big or anything. And that's why, honestly, that's why Nirvana's not in the album or in the... Uh, well, on the soundtrack or even in the movie. But you've got bands like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains that are in the movie. I mean, <laughs> Pearl Jam's in it as characters in Citizen Dick, the, the fictitious uh, record or uh, band that's there. 
Um, well, I'll share with you. Weird thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is the the song that uh, that Cliff from Citizen Dick is talking about, "Touch Me, I'm Dick." It's a playoff of a money mud honey song, "Touch Me, I'm Sick." Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll share with you. You know, my wife and I honeymooned in Seattle um, yeah. in '94. Now, at the time, it was it was more so because. Yeah, I sunburn easily, so I really wasn't feeling like going to a beach, and I just wanted to do oh, something. Sure. I wanted to do something different. So we went up there. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the area. I mean, oh, ha- hands down, beautiful. that is one of my my favorite top two locations that I've ever been to. I, I just love the food. I love the the uh, the geography. I love everything about it. So. Yeah, I, I can't say I went there because, you know, I was trying to, you know, attach myself to the grunge feel. But when I did get yeah. there, it actually, it's like, okay, I, I see it. I get it. I can understand yeah. the, where the music's that, coming that, from this culture. That's how Austin made me feel about um, Stevie Ray Vaughan and all that. You could feel the, the, the just the atmosphere. Uh, you can hear the music in your head when you're in that atmosphere. Oh, yeah. yeah. My I, favorite I first, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh, no. Go ahead, Joe. My favorite uh, Seattle band is Hole. No, I'm kidding. I'm just. I'm just <laughs> uh, I was going to lose some respect for you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> just can't get enough Hole, man. Uh, <laughs> nothing better than a than a whiny Courtney Love. Hey, um, uh, <laughs> all right, Joe. Well, check out this one. Tell me what you think about uh, about this band. Hold on, let me cue it up. Here we go. I knew something like that was coming. Man. How about that? You, Paul, you get to be witness to the first Rick roll on Rockheads. Uh, well, I'm glad that I was part of it. <laughs> Joe, oh, how, how, do you, how do you feel about that, Joe? Um, I, I want to go into a mall for some reason. I don't understand why. I just want to, you know, I just need to buy. I need to go to Claire's and, you know, give me some wristbands and stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe catch a Tiffany concert. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now wow. the other thing we talked about on, the, on that first episode was what felt like um kind of a short window uh, now am i wrong on that that it seems like we, we entered quote unquote the grunge grunge phase and then we were out of it and moving into other things within a matter of you know four or five years or do you think yeah that's not correct i i think it it it, it was a, a quick burn honestly well, after and I think a big part saying, of it is because Kurt Cobain died. Well, I think after what you're saying, Paul, is I think it was there. It just wasn't national long because yeah. clearly it was there for years before the rest of the world found it. But by, by what you were saying about singles and uh, um, the, uh, I already forgot the name of the band that we've been talking about. Green. Green River. Um, yeah. Was, did you say it was 86? Yeah. 86. Yeah. So, I mean. That that extends it right there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they're they're a fantastic band. Um, I don't know that they would ever really kind of make it as big as some of the other bands. I mean, maybe they would have. I mean, you've got the the Nirvanas, and I think they would have just been kind of on the coattails of them because they were developing their sound, and, and maybe the, the sound would have evolved um, like Soundgarden's did. I mean, if you go and you go back and listen to Ultra Mega OK. And then you listen to Louder Than Love and then Bad Motorfinger and then Super Unknown and then uh, Down the Upside. You can hear the evolution of their music. Yes. You can hear some of those like grooves that you've got in um, Bad Motorfinger and Super Unknown in Ultra Mega OK. But it is definitely much more muddy and uh, um, 
grungy, if you will. Um, yes. A little more dark. It, it's, but you can hear those undertones of what they're going to be. And I would have loved to hear and see what Green River did if they would have kind of continued. Wow. Yeah. Do you think hey, I'd love to be able to talk to some uh, some of the bands from that era when yeah. when 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 things started moving on and the industry started mm-hmm. getting distracted and moving another? Were there bands that were like, whoo, well, we're glad that that attention's over with. Let's go back to what we were doing. You know I'm what I'm sure saying? Yeah, I'm sure there were. I guess, honestly, I think Nirvana and Kurt Cobain was probably one of those people that say, look, can we just calm this down? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. it's just one of those things. I think the last grunge album. Um, honestly, I think was in utero. That is wow. a, I, I think, I think I'd agree with that with yeah. as much as we've kind of talked about, well, what is grunge and does Alice and Chains fall in grunge? I think you're right. I think that's a very good statement right there. Yeah. Because Mad I, Season came after that and I do not consider that grunge at all. No, I mean, it was, it was a different vein. I mean, it was, a. Yeah. it's not really grungy. It's not really metal but it's. It's a conglomerate of all these people from basically a super group. Yes. You got Mike McCready, Lane Stanley, yep. um, the drummer from, um, oh my gosh, I, I want to say Tad or Screaming Trees. I think it was Screaming Trees. It is Screaming uh, Trees. Yep. Yeah. That, uh, that came together and it was a phenomenal album. I still play that album on a monthly basis. I love that. Do you, are you a Screaming Trees fan? Yeah. Uh, uh, boy, they only got two, three albums, two? Um, but yeah, two or three albums. Yeah. Um, they were phenomenal. Yes. You know, they, they weren't like that grungy sound that, that you would associate, but there, there's something about Mark Lanigan and his voice and the way he composes music that is just phenomenal. Yes. They're, they're great albums. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to his, his solo work, go check out a solo work. It, it's definitely different than what Screaming Trees is. But it is a phenomenal, they're the phenomenal music. Yeah. Wow. I, I never, I listened to that, the, the, I think it was their second album that was the most popular. And I was over yeah, somewhere. Sweet Oblivion, house. I think it is. Yes. And I, it was on and it caught my attention. And I just remember the name Screaming Trees, um, but I never purchased it. I never purchased it. There was so much stuff coming out at that time that, oh, yeah. you know, it was, they flooded the market. <laughs> Yeah, they, they definitely did, you know, definitely flooded it and, and diluted what that purity is, you know. Um, but I think eventually some of that music would have come out of there anyway. Right. But there was such a rush on it and such a, a you know, fashion and, and marketing wanted to capitalize on it that I think it kind of ruined it. And that's why it ended in around 94, you know, along with the death of Kurt Cobain, I think. Those two things, just the over commercialization of it and his death, just it killed it. Ran it. its course. I agree. Yeah. I agree. That was that was that was enough. You know. And yeah. that, well, plus, that shocked everybody. You know, because it just happened out of nowhere. It was well, just, it, yeah. It brings up a really interesting point. Um, it makes me wonder: Was grunge then Kurt Cobain? Because you you got examples where you could say sometimes when like a really strong artist dies, well, then it actually becomes a catalyst for you know, massive yeah. adoption extan- expansion, you, you know, it'd be kind of like, well, Randy Rhodes died, didn't, didn't kill mm-hmm. metal. So it makes me wonder was uh, when, we, when we talk about what grunge is, was it heavily tied to the persona of Kurt Cobain? No, I think he was, he was, I think he loathed it more than anybody. 
that's just the, my I think personal he opinion. the the title of grunge yes and yes and the attention that it brought with it and the preconceived mm-hmm. notion um i think when he died the record company said um i'm trying to think what followed grunge I think they just went on to their next thing. A lot of things. Yeah, thing. I, I think yeah. the second half of the nineties was, um, uh, was, wasn't it? Um, what's his name? Um, Oh my God, Dave Matthews. Wait. I think we moved on to that kind of shit. It was kind of like singer songwriter stuff. It was, it was. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. had you had new metal starting to form. You had singer songwriter stuff. Um, the Rembrandts. Uh, there, there was yeah. a lot of. I think I think that's where it became almost like a, a free for all party where you know everybody was throwing and experimenting, and it was cool. They're experimenting with different sounds yeah. to see what would be the next. But I think the second half of the nineties, there there was wasn't a lot of clear direction. I, yeah, I, I think still, it was just kind of there. Yeah, I, I still was deep deep into metal i think i was deep in the nine inch nails that were, were you oh, still yeah. a metalhead uh paul or was you, i a wet metalhead yeah were you ever a metalhead or, or did you do the grunge oh, thing yeah. and go back into metal oh I, I i kept my love for metal throughout yeah. like grunge years too i mean i i mean metal was really kind of one of my first loves you know and i just I, i've always loved it i i still <laughs> One of the things that I like to do when um, my, my girl is 15 yes. and she's very much into the indie type of alternative rock music. Yeah. And so what I really love to do when all of her little friends are over <laughs> is I, I've got these, um, the, 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 I'm going to mute it so it doesn't hear me, all these uh, Alexis's um, in the house. So I'll be in, in my office. And I will tell it to <laughs> there play it something. I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, I just unmuted it. <laughs> I, 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 I will tell it to play Pantera in my front room. And it, it's something like Walk or yes. um, Hostel or Cemetery Gates or something. And just have it blasting through the house. Yeah. Just because they don't know what it is. And it's fun for me to oh. do that to them. Oh, my kids definitely know. Like my daughter is 13 and she's downstairs playing the ukulele right now. And mm-hmm. I love obituary. I'm not sure if you're a fan. But yeah, it I'm is like, oh, it, they, they loathe it on a level that is just perfect. So yeah. obituary and my studio is downstairs and it has no doors and, it, and it's right in the front of the house. So when they have their friends over obituary comes to life <laughs> just, 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 just like i play with it yeah. hey joe just like your bathrooms remember you took all the doors off just in theirs just in the ones that i use so that way you know uh i i use theirs when they can't lock me out so i use theirs and i give them gifts you know i i, I keep real quick i keep th- having this thought and then i lose it it is interesting that I think most musicians, maybe country music musicians, don't have a problem being labeled country. But it seems like at least in rock, like the the hair rocker, hair rockers hated to be called hair rockers. And you can yeah. go all the way back to uh, Claude Debussy hated to be called an impressionist. He hated it, mm-hmm. but he was, in my opinion, he he was. Yeah. But they hated the term. Satie hated the term. So maybe you know musicians hate labels. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Well, you I know, really think it, it puts a box on your art. I mean, it really yeah. does. Even though I clearly play metal, but I was in your funk band, Dean. You know, I mean, oh I, yeah. I mean, I, and I played <laughs> drums. I, did, I I played guitar in my metal bands. So as an artist, it kind of um, it, it kind of and and I think labels like uh, lab, uh, record labels like labels. 
you know, they, yeah, wanna, they know how to market a label. Yeah. 100 percent. 100 percent. And that's which brings me back to grunge. And uh, and, and it kind of uh, stifles your art and homogenizes the shit yeah. out of it. You know, I saw this post. Um, I saw this poster about a week ago that that like has all the current genres and subgenres. And it starts from like the 19, I don't know, 1930s, 1940s. And you just watch this tree form. It has gotten so ridiculous. I mean, yes, a number of subgenres. Yes. Yeah, and they're 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 running out of names to call it. I think um, what like that's why one of the hardest things of all the bands I've been in is coming up with the band name. You know, Metallica. Yeah. Well, you're cut and dry. Obituary. You're pretty much cut. Godflesh. You're cut and dry. Nirvana. Yeah. Mm, you could be yeah. anything. You're heaven. I mean, r- really? That's what you're gonna well, go with. <laughs> well, that's why. Yeah, that's why oh. mine. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, yeah. that's why my next band is going to be something like a post-neo-apocalyptic uh, white Christian Viking goth band or something. Well, see, and that doesn't label you at all. Not at all. Not at all. See, <laughs> I always like the name uh, Dillweed. Oh, oh. that, that, that could be reggae. That could be country. Mm-hmm. That could be death metal. You yep. know, I, I, I was sitting I in, in the spice aisle and saw that spice. I'm like, man, that's a good band name. <laughs> Dude, I think I told you this story. So long time ago, you know, me and a bunch of buddies got together and we, we, we went to a studio, recorded a demo and it was just us having fun. We had no band name. Well, I decided, yeah. you know what, let, let me get this on some college radio stations. So the first one that we got it on was um, William and Mary. And, and they're like, okay, well, this is cool, man. What's your band name? And I had no idea. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> fuck it. Hubert Heavy Hand and the Magical Reindeer Band. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you a couple of the members were pretty pissed when I told them what, uh, what we were getting played as. It's hard to make T-shirts with that on it. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? A lot of bands uh, came up with names like that. Uh, they just saw one the other day, and I can't, I can't think of the name of it. It's a real popular band. And they just, uh, they just threw a name out there because they already had the music and everything. And uh, they didn't, uh, uh, I think it was Twisted Sister. And uh, they literally just had all the music, had everything done. They go, what are we going to call this? And they just happened to, ha- that just flew out. It has no meaning, has no any secret, anything behind it. Same with Kiss on that documentary this weekend. They had no name for their band and had the full albums worth of songs. And they just needed something to call it. Well, you and know, it just stuck. The, the cover band that you would sit in with us on uh, Vivid, that was the name of a porn company at the time, which I didn't. Of course, we, well, we didn't. We didn't realize that when we came up with the name. Seriously, and then it hit us at some point. It's like, <laughs> man, I wonder if we're getting booked without a demo because people are expecting that we're going to be this porn company that's going to come in. <laughs> Jenna Jameson's going to walk out any minute now, man. That's funny. Toad the Wet Sprocket. Uh, exactly. Oh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yeah. But isn't you that know, a famous book or something? They they got it from Monty Python. Oh, that's exactly what Love it is. Monty yes. Python. Yes, Monty Python was saying, "What's a band name that we can use that in, in this skit that no one would ever use?" You know, and I yes. dug Toad the Wet Sprocket. I, I really did. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, I also like yeah. the Connells. Um, yeah, there were there were a number. So, and I've talked about this in, in some of my other posts. Yes, I, I loved. Yeah, I loved Dokken. I, I loved Metallica. Yeah. I loved Megadeth. Obviously, there was a lot of other genres I, I also loved and really got into. Um, so, and I guess that's the one thing that was pretty cool about the 90s, because you're right, the 80s, I'll be the first to admit that it did start to get, you know, 80% of the bands sounded the same. Um, yeah, they started to sound the same. But I think that just the market itself needed some sort of cleansing and a change, and Teen Spirit came out, and that was the change. What I did, and that's what everybody kind of latched onto into to that sound. What I couldn't understand was... You know, growing up in the 80s, I'm a teenager. By the time I graduate high school, it's the late 80s. Um, mm-hmm. I want to go out there and I want to start playing. And suddenly it's like 
the role that I had tried to train for was was thrown out to the trash. It's, it's not that we're not. It's not that bands were like we're not going to do guitar solos anymore. There was almost like this this visceral where if you picked up a guitar and started doing a lead, people would give you this look like, "What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Are you that guy?" And it was yeah. a really awkward feeling. But isn't isn't that classic rock and roll attitude though? Is uh, the the um, the the norm was hair metal at the time, and rock and roll always is anti. So it is the complete anti. You know, uh, grunge was the complete opposite yeah. of hair metal, but it's excellent. It's a great product. But it truly, it's a good. You product. still had bands that were doing those solos. Oh yeah, you had but you also oh had bands God. that said, yes. "No, we're not doing that." Well, we talked about Dimebag Daryl. You know, nineteen ninety mm-hmm. Cowboys from Hell. I mean, yeah, he kept going the direction he wanted to go, and he went with it. You know, full bore. Yeah, and it, yes. it worked. Hell yeah! And, it, and I think, I think he kind of filled a, a void that was left from say the black album that people wanting to, that people wanted and, and craved. So he filled that void in, in Pantera, I think just kind of came in at the right time. Yeah. Hey Joe, you got an opinion about the black album, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you like, you like you, to trigger me, man. You like to trigger <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. I mean, you know, my, my opinion about it. <laughs> you, you played yeah. it on that episode. <laughs> so what about, um, all right, so James Hetfield calls you up, Joe, and is like, hey, man, I heard you trashing my album. What do you say? Uh, man, you know me. Don't ask if you don't want to hear it. I'd say, well, you know what I would start on? Because we were in sales. I would say, man, let me tell you something. And I would tell him everything I love about Metallica. And it's a long list. Oh, yeah. And I and I understand why they did the Black Album. I understand why they got Bob Rock. And I understand that they have a record contract. I understand all of it. I just did not pay the 13. I didn't dude. I haven't even free downloaded it because I just, it's just overplayed. I just don't care about well, it. It's man. a good thing. You, it's, it's a good thing. You didn't admit that. Otherwise Lars would uh, probably sue you. Oh, well, and yep. James would probably punch me in the throat. Oh, you, oh, you're talking about Napster. Oh, you're exactly. <laughs> Napster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. You'd be knocking on my door at three in the morning. and want to kick me in the balls, man. I mean, uh, that's something Lars would do. Um. But, but there's so many other songs. So I always, I, I like, I like songs. I, I'm, I like, I consider myself, even though I play multiple instruments, I like songwriting and oh, yeah. there's just so many better songs. That's why I hated when Metallica did covers, you know, and they did a lot of covers too. And, um, whiskey in a bottle. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I mean, they should have left it with uh, Garage Days and Garage Days Revisited, and that's Garage it. Days. I yeah. forgot all about Garage Days. Yeah. Yes, you're exactly right. Where did the what the uh, the Rainbow song and and oh. and the Misfit song and and things and, and that's it. That's that's where they should have left it with these. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they weren't as big as other bands was at the time, and they did these bands and these songs that they loved. They didn't do whiskey in the bottle and these mainstream classic rock songs or turn the page or. Are, are you a Black Sabbath fan, Paul? Uh, yeah, I like them. I mean, I don't, I don't, I haven't really like dove into them much, but oh. uh, I do like them. There's never anything in there that I haven't liked. Iomi is one of my many influences as far as guitar players. Yeah. Billy Gibbons. And uh, I really, but Tony Iommi is like the guy. Like I like his riffs. I, I'm working and, on a. Um, I'm working on a post on on, on Tony. Oh, dude! Yeah, I mean, I have so they're much. iconic. Oh yeah. my god! But an example of of good songs is I'm trying to think of the name of the album, and it's not even a famous singer. I think it's Dean Martin's son. 
sings on. No, it's Ian Gillen. It's Ian Gillen. And I cannot remember the name of the album. I think it's Southern Cross or something to do with a cross. And um, zero, the the whole album, I think, let's say there's, let's say there's 11 songs on it. I think it has two songs that are good. But one of them is Zero the Hero. Are you familiar with that song? I, no, I've never heard oh, of it. Oh, my God. That song is literally worth buying the album for. But, like, the Black Album, they're all good songs. I just, yeah. They're just not good enough for me to go, yeah, here's $13 or... Yeah, it was Maybe a departure. So. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us got burnt. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And then we I, just kind of held that good. Yeah. It wasn't, it, Dude, it you're, wasn't you're, a good... You're, you got you're there. not... This, this is a... Uh, this is Zero to Hero from the Hercules Disney Hercules movies. Is this what you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Zero to Hero. You can get uh, it. It's everybody but uh, Ozzy or Dio. It's a, it's a great... Dude, I, I, I made a video of me playing guitar on it on my YouTube channel. I love that song, man. It's yeah. just a great song. But I, I like I'm songs. What's that? It has yeah, a I mean, I... I think if uh, I mean really, it's it's about the music, it's about the writing, it's about the production. It is, it is, and that's why. And I, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with my grunge story. Is I blew it off without listening to it. Mm-hmm. I just heard the songs on the radio, the the ones that everybody else heard, and then um, I was at a party and Ten was on Pearl Jam Ten, and I heard it. And I actually think that album should be listened to beginning to end. Oh, and, it is absolutely. Oh my god. Well, I've. I, and, I, it was unbelievable how good that album was. I, I've recovered, but you know, I'm going to go back to and say at that time I'd started writing a bunch of songs, had some great guitar parts in there, and literally I felt like I had to strip out everything. You I know, don't understand d- why d- you felt d- d- that d- because that's how it was, dude. There were there were no more guitar solos of a certain style. But even in Teen Spirit, there's a guitar solo in it. Hey, yeah. See, I yeah. like helmet solos, which are almost noise. And I, I and I, I that's the part of that era. Matter of fact, I've been playing a lot of Helmet lately. Is oh, um, Helmet was wonderful. Oh my god, dude! Have you seen what he looks like lately? Oh, I can't remember. His I, name. I haven't. I, I mean, I haven't listened oh, to them in years. God. I just oh, I forgot about him until you just mentioned him. So good, man. And Betty is okay, but prior to Betty, meantime, and even earlier in that uh, other first like demo, I, mm. I love Helmet, but. Um, that was almost punk, but that's almost unclassifiable music. But their leads are almost chords that are strummed really fast. And, uh, and I, I, that changed my... It wasn't because there wasn't leads in um, grunge, even though there wasn't certain ones. Um, it was groups like Helmet and um, the Melvins. And um, that made me leave a lot of leads. Like I was in one band. I think only one of our 18 songs had a lead, maybe two. <laughs> Yeah, but and they were six minute songs, which is ridiculous. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. we we were okay. But, uh, <laughs> we were okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's Raleigh. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's okay. You made it in Raleigh. Yeah, that's true. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, the uh, but that kind of songwriting, uh, I I don't blame. Like Dean, if if you're so, you should have put your songs out anyways. You shouldn't change. That's the whole point of rock and roll is this is what i sound like yeah. uh, like it or leave it man. well I, uh, yeah yes and i understand because i play with you i completely understand because you are light years ahead of me in, in guitar playing and your leads you're a lead guitar player 
well, you're a songwriter, but you, your leads are, uh, they stand on their own. Well, dude, My leads are a uh, space filler till the next verse. Well, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that. And you know, I do recognize there are, um, well, this is a topic in and of itself, the whole idea of sellout. Like I, I hear people talk about, well, this band was a sellout or this band, you know, that was a sellout. And here's the way I look at it. You know, it's, it's hard to be a musician. You've got everybody willing to judge yeah. you. And your objective as a musician is to get your music or your message out to the widest audience possible. I mean, if your goal is to just write songs for yourself, well, that's cool. But most people have, have something that they want to share with the world. So you're going to get it out to a broad audience. So by the very nature, you know, you almost are trying to sell out or you're like Rush. You just do your thing for 30 years and you hope that eventually the crowd comes with you. Because in the early 80s, we could talk about Rush. It wasn't cool to be a Rush fan. I remember getting picked on for that. But they stuck to ridiculous. their Yeah, they stuck to their guns and they did their thing. I guess I looked at it as yeah, I did want to write music that that you know, was something that was special to me. But if the market was at a point uh, where they didn't want to hear that style of music and I'm 18, 19 years old, yeah, I got a little bit self-conscious about it. I did. Oh, I'll admit I did. Well, I mean, you're young at that point, but I mean, that, that's exactly why Greed River broke up. Because two of them wanted to, to kind of broaden it out and, as they say, sell out. The others said, no, I want to be independent. I want to be an indie person. I, I want to be underground. And they and they broke up. And, and what would they have sound out sounded like now if they would have stayed together? Yeah, you know, See, in, yeah. In things. That's why in my posts, I, I one I stay away from the term overrated, and I have used it in one occasion, but for the most part, I don't use that term because it it. it it doesn't mean anything. In order to say somebody's overrated, no. you have to have a rating system that you're going to measure them by. Um, and it's hard enough being a musician. I don't. I really try not to trash musicians because even if I don't dig your style, man, it's hard work, and there's no shortage of people willing to tell you you suck. Um, oh yeah. And they don't. You know, I, I just I'm not going to be that guy. See, I I don't think bands sell out. I the way I looked at it is, I had a full time job and I was trying to. Uh, play clubs on Wednesday night and Friday night and in a different County. And, and the, the equipment was expensive. Getting the equipment around was expensive. Hiring a sound guy was expensive. Um, so it's a business. So oh, the more money you make, the whole point is to make money. And, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm still an artist, you know, some very, you know, I, this is what I sound like, you know, uh, you know, but when a record company investing, it's almost like you're going public on Wall Street. They have now mm -hmm. have a say in the product and it's not the band selling out. You know, I think that's why Kurt Cobain was so upset is they were telling him what to do, what to wear, you know, what time this, what time that. And he's not that kind of guy. No. I mean, did you ever wonder why in utero sounds so different than never mind? 100 yeah. percent because it's homogenized the record label had their hands in it. it's a product now well that's what yeah. that's I mean, what they do yeah never mind is so slick oh it's it's and it, it's, it's and smooth and pretty sounding yes and then you when i first heard in utero the only exposure i had to nirvana was never mind and i heard in utero i'm like oh my gosh what is this this is completely different this is not what i was expecting and i liked it but it was still so different than it was. And then I went back and listened to Bleach and I said, oh, this is what Nirvana is. Yes. This is what it is. Never mind. Those are the songs. And they've got um, like songs that represent that, like uh, 
territorial pissings is one of them. I think off of uh, never mind. Very much in that vein of what Nirvana really is, but it's it, it sounded so different than the Nevermind. And Kurt did that on purpose to <laughs> kind of piss off the record label. No, oh, this is the record I'm making. Of course, you know because he he wanted to. I mean, and, and if you listen to In Utero, and then go listen to uh, um, Mud Honey's uh, Super uh, Super Fuzz Big Muff. Oh, very similar. yes, yes, yes. In, yes. Fact, in fact, Kurt Cobain said that that is one of his favorite albums of all time is that Mud Honey uh, record. But you can kind of see those similarities in, in style. With it. It's different, but it's the same. Those are those are distortion pedals. Very yep. old distortion pedals. Yep. Those are the wow. best. <laughs> yeah. Those are the best. Hey, I will oh, say, yeah. Joe, though, to your comment. So, yes, I've written a lot of songs. You know this, as you have. Um, uh, yes. And I've, I've, I've had songs released that I've performed on of other people's. But just recently, I actually just released for the first time my own song under my own name. So there you go. I, am, I put skunk out there. I am starting to, you know, push my stuff out there. I've sat on it long enough. But, uh, yeah, there you go. I'll share it with the world. The, the thought of that is I'm releasing right now underneath this table. <laughs> uh, I'm proud of you, man. You're, you, uh, I, I mean, I can, I think we were in quite a few bands together and yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think you're a phenomenal artist, man. But I, I, the, um, and I understand what you're saying about the leads. I completely understand that, but you're also a songwriter and your product is what your product is. It's a, it's a, it's a point of in time. And, well, that was, uh, you know. Well, that was the other challenge, too, that I've talked about is I, I don't lock into one style. So on today, I might feel like writing a, a metal song and tomorrow I might write a blues song or something that has a country hint, you know, tinge to it. And it's like, man, I'm all over the place here. <laughs> so well, that's how I do it. I, I, mine, mine's all over the place, too. Depends on the day. It literally yeah. depends on the day and how good if my guitar is actually feel, uh, sounding good that day and my hands are working good that day. Hey, um, you know? so hey, isn't that what makes a really good artist a good artist is being able to write really anything? Isn't that what makes an artist an artist? We'll, we'll say that. That, that. that makes me feel good. We'll say, we'll say that. Yeah. It, 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 no, no, it, it, it should. I mean, that's, I've talked about Glenn Campbell. He is actually, you know, probably one of my favorite guitarists also. The dude, you know, he, he, you look at the albums when he was a session musician that he played on, you know, including the Beach Boys, uh, Animal Sounds, and you got the Monkees and just several oh. others. He's a phenomenal guitar player, but he could play it all. So, yeah. yeah. Yep, so with I that, agree. I got to give a heads up. I got my uh, daughters texting me. And Joe, you know that normally. The, you oh, know. <laughs> oh, man, dude. So I got to go uh, check on them. So we're probably at a good point to start wrapping up. But perfect. Paul, love have you on. Yeah. I want to have you on again. No but but doubt, if, if you had to make yeah. a, if you had to make a statement to summarize, you know, grunge, um, what would you want to say? Oh, my gosh. A statement. To, you got to prepare me for this. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> nope, that's one a thing statement. we don't do. No, <laughs> a statement to summarize grunge. Uh, it is. What was it? Yeah. What, what, what was it? What is grunge? I mean, that's, the, it is a, 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 a muddy, sloppy mess of punk. Okay. That, wow. I mean, that made me love it. If I had never heard anything grunge before and you said, Hey Dean, check this out. It's a muddy, sloppy mess of punk genre music. You would have actually sold me on that. Yeah. That's what I think it is. I mean, you listen to those, you know, listen to Mudhoney, listen to, to Green River, listen to Skinyard, and 
you're going in, in, in the Melvins and in, in these people, even though Skin Yard and the Melvins really aren't into that genre, but it's the beginning of it. I mean, the drummer of Skin Yard was Matt Cameron before they broke up. There you go. And then he went off to the Soundgarden. That's what it is. It's a muddy, sloppy mess of punk. I mean, it's it's beautiful. So, Joe, the question for you, do you want to say anything to Lars for selling out his fan base to Napster? Um, <laughs> dude, all I have to do is say is uh, uh, MP3, uh, YouTube to MP3. <laughs> <laughs> and then you wait 10 hours for it to burn to your CD. That's right. <laughs> all righty, guys. Well, I appreciate everybody's time. And uh, I don't know. Anybody got any one last thing to say before we sign off? Uh, yeah, go thanks, buy the new whole album. Yeah, Celebrity Skin was the best album out of the nineties. Uh, there you Corgan. go, dude. Dude, yeah, well, yeah. dude, that's Billy a guy. Billy Corgan wrote the most of it, but yeah. Not, not not to digress again, but that's actually a dude I would love to talk to because have you seen oh his? Have you seen his video from like nineteen eighty six? I think where he's in a high school band and he's shredding, and he's just it's like oh my god, this guy's no. phenomenal. And then you oh. fast forward like seven years. And it's such a massive transition. And, and he did something that I struggled to do at that time period, which was say, okay, I'm going to take all these tools that I like to play on my guitar. I'm going to stick them in a, a box and I'm going to stuff them away. And he went to a completely different style. Uh, you know, I, I would love to hear his thoughts on that. Dude, uh, I, Moby and Billy Corgan. <laughs> Please Paul, do. Can you get Moby and Billy Corgan to come on our show, man? That would be really awesome. Moby and Billy Corgan. <laughs> <laughs> do what you can do, buddy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll see if I can. Uh, I'll see if I know anybody. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it's possible. All right, <laughs> All right. Joe, it, but maybe. Dan, Joe, it's always Paul? awesome, my friend. I'll see you next Friday at my house. Man. Absolutely, absolutely. And Paul, we're All gonna right, do yeah, this again I'll, soon. Yeah, let me know if you. I, I mean, I'd love to be on again. It'd, it'd be fantastic. It was a lot of fun. And uh, Joe, I'll be over there too. Oh, it may I'm, take me a little longer because I'm, I'm so late. Chef. But, you know. I'll be waiting. You have, a, you have a chair at my table, my friend. Now, the thing Paul, is, it was a pleasure now, meeting now you. Paul, real quick, the thing you have to remember about Joe, because it kind of colors when you get into his house, he, he was an extra on uh, the film Jurassic Pork. And I, was. <laughs> I, was, I was the fluffer. <laughs> Fluffer. Actually, actually, I kid, I kid, I kid. So, but but this is how this is how rumors get started. So there you go. Yeah, look, I'm good with that rumor. Honestly, I mean, if you want to start spreading that, let's do that. Hopefully, Moby and Billy Corrigan are too. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Moby's got a a tea shop in New York. We'll just stop. That's right. That's right. He does. All right. All right. It was an absolute. All right. I'll talk to you later. A lot of fun. Later, man. Bye, bye, bye. 